I think about three opportunities really um, where Jesus has a chance to really soften his language. People are questioning him. I don't really know if you're, if you're really meaning what you're saying. And he intensifies it. He takes the opportunity to really dive deeper into what he's saying and almost like force it on you and say, no, I really, really mean this. Welcome back to another episode of PPK. I'm your co-host, the man on fire, John Sablon. The middle child, Kaoni. And your boy, Meeks. Well, boys, we are back. We are recording this on Wednesday of Holy Week. So these are this is probably one of the quickest episodes we're going to be flipping uh, in, in all of our series. But we found it appropriate right, that on this day that we are recording, um, we're preparing. So for us as Catholics, um, the, the most sacred liturgy of the Tritium, so the next three days, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and of course, um, when we get into Holy Saturday, and that leads into obviously Easter Vigil, are, is the most important liturgy for us, the most important time for us as Catholics. Now it's a little bit of a struggle this year just because we're without the sacraments, we're going to be without the Mass, um, at least full participation, so we're going to have to be doing this obviously virtual. But as we prepare during this Holy Week, and we prepare specifically as we enter into the, the tritium, right? The three most holy days of our uh, faith to talk about the Eucharist. So this one is on the real presence, the true presence of God. And for those of you who aren't familiar with what that means for us as Catholics, we believe that present in the bread and in the wine is a, the body, blood, soul and divinity of our Lord. That when the priests at the time of consecration, when we're in the context of the mass, um, calls down for the Holy Spirit and and uh, represents the sacrifice of our Lord and, and says, take this all of you and eat from it and take this all of you and drink from it, that at that moment that the, the species of the bread and of the wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity. Now, this is obviously a very deep topic and we're not going to probably do it justice in the, in the short period of time we'll be recording this episode, but it's real critical particularly in these days because of where are the, the Catholics in the church are today with regards to this specific teaching. So if you looked at the one thing that separates us from every other Christian, it's the Eucharist, the, the belief. I mean, that's one of the main things, right? Because we can think about apostolic succession, you know, the founder of our church being Jesus Christ himself and having um, authority all the way down through our bishops and priests today. But one of the key things is Holy Eucharist, the real presence. Now, why is that an important topic for us today? Because both polls that came out, both from the Gallup poll and the Pew Research Center, say that essentially 60% plus don't, of Catholics do not believe that Jesus is truly present in our most sacred sacrament. You think about this for us Catholics, it's the source and summit of our faith. 60% plus, one in five, so one in five Catholics. So five Catholics out of every Catholic that knows the teaching, only one in five actually accept it. I believe that's the, that's the, uh, the teaching on it. So obviously this is near and dear to our hearts for us as Catholics. Um, that's critical. It's a source and somewhat of our faith as we know in the church's teaching. And yet most of us approach this sacrament like it's just a symbol, which is a lot of what our separated brothers and sisters in the Protestant faith believe is just a symbol. It's nothing spectacular about it that's why it can be grape juice or whatever you want it to be so mix let's kick it off to you as we start to dive into such a deep 
but um, intimate topic on yeah. true presence. So obviously I'm not ready to handle that deep topic on my own. So <laughs> we're just going to go to the source of it all because I mean, it's important to know that this is not just Catholic dogma that was made up by a Pope in the sixth century. This is taken from the Bible itself from Jesus's own mouth. And um, I think it's important as we look through John chapter six to understand that uh, people didn't believe it when Jesus said it either. So it's probably no, no surprise that people aren't going to believe it when a priest or our church says it. And there's a lot of, there's like, I think about three opportunities really um, where Jesus has a chance to really soften his language. People are questioning him. I don't really know if you're, if you're really meaning what you're saying. And he intensifies it. He takes the opportunity to really dive deeper into what he's saying and almost like force it on you and say, no, I really, really mean this basically is what he's doing. So John chapter six, it starts out with the multiplication of loaves and fish. So after he performs this little miracle, uh, a group of people, his disciples mostly, and they follow him, and he kind of has this opportunity to teach. And so he basically he's telling them, not to, don't work for this bread that perishes on earth, but work for the bread that's, that gives eternal life. And that bread can only be given from the Father. He talks about Moses and obviously the, you know their fathers, all knowing Moses and, and the manna that he was given from the Father and saying that Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. It was the Father that gave you bread from heaven. And he says, the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life the world obviously referring to himself is what he's really referring to which they'll find out sooner or later and so um you know they're all with it right at this point like yeah it sounds pretty fire you know it's, it's a little bit prosperity gospel maybe vibes are given yeah this, this bread's gonna be sick and so you know lord always give us a spread and then he kind of what maybe seems like symbolic talk to them first is he says you know i'm the bread of life i come down from heaven so kind of making that connection between you know that bread that i was just talking about with god that's me and then, so they're kind of having some trouble with this because they said, well, from heaven, are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure, pretty sure you're Joseph and Mary's kid. I don't think you really came down from heaven. So he, you know, whatever. He says, do not ground well among yourselves. No one has seen the father except the one who is from God. He who believes will have eternal life. And he says, so they struggle with the whole I am a bread of life. He takes that, that's what I'm saying. He takes that step a little bit further. He intensifies his language instead of softening it. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna and died. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. The bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so people are like, well, how are you going to give us your flesh to eat? Like, it's kind of kind of weird. He's giving some creepy vibes off. Obviously, if, regardless of Jewish tradition, which we know is um, kind of speaks about, you know, blood and, and flesh and where to draw that line for, for animals, at least. And eating that in the Old Testament, they kind of draw those lines. And so I think it's important to even put yourself in that situation as if you were listening to anybody and he was saying, I'm going to give you my flesh. You're probably going to be taken aback. Right. So he, and Jesus understands this. He's not, he's not stupid. He knows people are reacting that way. So as they are taken aback again, like saying, Hey, how is he going to give us his flesh? He once again, intensifies his language. And so he says, you know, when I begin to start to question, he, he does the whole, I am in, I may I say to you, which is just translate to Hey, listen up. This is important. And uh, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within yourselves. And in case you thought that was like, ah, maybe it didn't mean that. For my flesh is true fruit, food and my blood is true drink. And so this is where anyone who is an actual uh, practicing Jew or knowledgeable Jew in that time would kind of be taken aback and probably start walking away because the Old Testament would forbid anyone to eat any animal flesh that had blood in it because their thought was that if you were to drink an animal's blood, blood, you're almost partaking in that life. And that's obviously lower than you. So that'd kind of be weird if you're doing that. 
So they kind of forbade that, and blood symbolizes God, and that that belongs to, or symbolizes life, which belongs to God. So that was kind of a no-no, and you're not supposed to do that. So when Jesus says that, obviously it's it's going to bring a lot of questions and concerns, and people are walking away, and even as it says here, even his own disciples leave. So not only does he kind of repeat this, kind of keep going on this theme of eating my flesh and drinking my blood, he intensifies his language and how he says how you're to eat this. So at first, it is the... Greek word would be phagain, which is more of like how we would eat dinner, how we gather kind of in that sense. And then he intensifies it to to uh, trogain, which is more of how animal eats with gnaw to chew. So he intensifies language even more so in case he really didn't get it. So it's three opportunities where he has a chance to soften his language, just like many people, many of the Protestant brothers talk to us, right, about how, well, I don't, you know, is it really his, they do the same thing, right? Are you sure? I don't really think so. But the three times he's continually pushing it. And so even his disciples are walking away. So you think at that point, okay, Jesus, your own disciples are walking away. Are you going to soften your language? Because even the disciples are like, this is really hard to hear. I don't really know who can listen to it is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And then he just turns to his 12. He's like, you guys trying to bounce too? And they're like, nah, I guess I'll just stay here. <laughs> but it's just that idea that how many times does he have to, like what, what response is there to that in saying, no, I didn't think he meant it, or maybe he means it, and they don't think that that can be replicated within the church. Mm-hmm. That could be a thing. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's just like, which we'll get into later on, if that wasn't, if that wasn't Jesus' point, and that's not the source and someone of our faith, then what, what really is, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later on. But Yeah, I mean, that's a good, good summarization if you think about that. So John chapter 6, for those of you who are listening, is what we know as the bread of life discourse, as Miko just kind of walked us through that. And that is always interesting for somebody who taught uh, Christian, Christian initiation for adults. Um, I always used to ask Protestants that would come into the church, like, what did you guys do with that chapter? Right? Especially when Jesus does turn. So knowing that this is disturbing the, 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 the audience, the disciples, knowing that his closest crew, right, his 12 are like, this is hard to, this is hard to, to take, right? And, and Jesus does turn to him and says, now, hey, you guys, you know, why don't you help me out? You know, I was only, I was only symbolizing, right? No, he said, do you two want to leave? And that's when St. Peter says, right, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And a lot of that for us, and when I think about it in our own walk of faith, you think about when we think about us as Catholics, right? Especially us as Catholics, right? We don't bend to the world. So that's one thing is the one thing you can count on is the church is going to hold true to the truth time and time over again through all, throughout the ages. And so we always get questioned. I get questioned all the time. John, oh, you believe everything the church teaches? And I say, yeah. And you know what? I don't even know everything the church teaches. I'm still trying to learn. And what does that mean is that I put my faith in Christ. And so what St. Peter's doing at that point is was saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? Right? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe that you are the Messiah, that you are the son of the living God. So for us, especially as Catholics, what we're saying is what? That I put my faith and trust in you, Lord. That you are a savior. You came to, to save us. And that if you say this bread is your body, which he did, that's what we get into the last supper. We think about celebrating that tomorrow. He did say, this is my body, right? which will be given up for you. This is my blood. You say those words, think about this in the context, and I'm going to kick it over to Keone as we kind of really break this open um, as we enter into um, this meditation. But think about this. What, was the f- what did the first words that the Lord said, you know, or God spoke? Let, or not the first words, but w- when he spoke into, into creation, he said what? Let there be light. And was there light 
or is that just a symbol? No, he spoke a light into the world. So when our Lord says, this is my body and this is my blood, we don't think he can speak that into existence, right? So it's kind of crazy how we accept certain things, but don't accept other things. God is either God or he's not. And we have to, we have to start there. But Kieran, I want to kick it over to you because um, one of the things that is a struggle for people is when you're reading this is that there's no context to what you're reading. So it's hard to understand what's going on when Jesus is speaking about this, unless you understand, right, the Jewish tradition. And for those of you who are like, I'm just new, I'm a New Testament Christian. It's like, cool, that's nice, right? But Jesus was a practicing Jew, mm-hmm. right? And so were all of his apostles. So he was actually practicing his Jewish faith, go figure. So Keone, why is that important for us to understand that in context as it relates specifically to the Passover? I think it's really important just in thinking of, you know, the, the statistics that you pulled up. And thinking about what Meeks was saying and the Protestants, how they like, oh, it's just a symbol. Just in general, I think Catholics that don't believe and Protestants that are so far removed from the context that they fall into the trap mm-hmm. of the symbolic. Eh, it's just kind of a, it, it sounds nice. Mm-hmm. And we, we kind of partake in that in our service. right? Um, and so I think it's, it's just missing that context that we need to learn to really deepen our understanding. And, and we talk about this so many times with St. Thomas Aquinas, the primary virtue of knowledge leads to love, right? And if, you're not, if you don't know something this deep and intimate, we are missing so much of what God is trying to truly give to us. Mm-hmm. And we're completely blind to it. He give, he's giving us way more than praise and worship songs and praise. Like he's giving us himself. So when we think about the context of Passover, Meeks was talking about the bread that Moses gave was bread that does not last People die from that. So we think of the Passover. And what was the Passover? The Passover was obviously the climax of the 10 plagues. It was, this is the book of Exodus, chapter 12. And basically, God orders Moses to tell his people to slaughter a male, unblemished lamb and take a hyssop branch and sprinkle their doorpost with blood. And God will pass the angel of darkness, or angel of death, I think it was Mm -hmm. called, will pass over those doors that have the marks of blood. And the, those that don't, he'll slay their firstborn son. And so that is basically the, the climax of um, the, freeing, the freeing of the, the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. That is the restoring of communion between God and his people. It is everything for the practicing Jew. And why is that important? Because they partake in that. They became free and they represented that sacrifice regularly. And we see that. Jesus, who was a practicing Jew, did that too with his apostles. So we know what the Passover is. It was the climax of the Jewish faith. What uh, Dr. Scott Hahn said for us Catholics, it's, it's like celebrating Christmas, Easter, and the 4th of July all in one celebration. Like it's a big deal. It's the big deal, right? Mm-hmm. So here let's go to what we're going to be celebrating tomorrow, the Last Supper. And Jesus is there with his apostles, and he is reinstituting the Passover sacrifice, and eternalizing it. And how do we know that? Well, what the Passover sacrifice was, so for those practicing Jews in the first century, there was four cups. And what the first cup was, was the festival blessing. And it was prayed over the first cup, and they drink the first cup, and then they, they eat of bitter herbs. And those bitter herbs were a reminder of the bitterness of slavery. Right? And then they partake in the second cup, and the second cup was when they reread the Passover narrative. They go back in Exodus 
uh, chapter 12. They learn the history of the Israelite people and being free from slavery. They reread that narrative and then they sing the little praise, the little Hallel, Psalm 113. They drink the second cup, right? And then the third cup is the main course. It's where the lamb is, the, uh, the eating of the lamb, the unleavened bread. And then there's the third cup, the cup of blessing. And then finally, the fourth cup. And the fourth cup was preceded by the great Hallel, the great praise, Psalm 114 and 118. And then you have the fourth cup. So what does that have to do with anything? Jesus is a practicing Jew. We're now in the upper room, John 19, right? And Jesus is instituting, he's practicing the Passover sacrifice with his apostles. And what we see throughout the Gospels, and it's funny how all the Gospels, even though the Synoptic Gospels have a lot in common and and John seems kind of out there, they they complement each other and they fill in the gaps, right? But we see throughout the Gospels is that there was the cup that was drinking, right? This is the, the, the cup of my blood, the new covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many. And then they sing, after this, they sang a hymn. So we've, we've heard of two cups, basically. So what we read is they had the cup, they sang the hymn, and then before you're, you're expecting the fourth cup because they sung the hymn. We know that that's the, the great Hallel. So the practicing Jew hearing this is like, that's the great Hallel. We're about to have the fourth cup and that's Passover, right? But Jesus says, amen, or truly I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until basically the kingdom of God is at hand or until I bring it has become new in the kingdom of God, basically. Um, so for the practicing Jew, they're like, what are you doing, Jesus? You, you, you're skipping the, the climax, you know? How, how can you go through the cups? You sing the great hymn and then you just skip out on the, on the cup. So the practicing Jew is waiting. Like, what, what is going on here? What, is, what does he make of this? So keep reading. And so Jesus goes into the Mount of Olives, and he's beginning his passion, right? He knows his death is coming. And so he's praying in the garden, sweating tears of blood, begging God, Lord, please let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours. What is this cup? And he says it three times for the cup to be removed, but not my will, Lord, yours. And it continues to go on. And I think it's in John where Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus. Jesus performs his last miracle. And he says, Peter, shall I not drink of the cup that the Lord has placed or given me or placed for me? Again, the cup is there. What is this cup? Mm-hmm. So Jesus is sentenced to Calvary or he's sentenced to his death. And what John puts is it was the sixth hour and he's sentenced to die. Obviously, everything in scripture has meaning. What is the sixth hour? Well, in the Passover sacrifice, that was when they started, the priests started to offer the sacrifice. They started to, um, I believe, slaughter the lamb. Yeah, prepare. Prepare, prepare right? The prepare the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And we all know Jesus is the lamb of God. So it's starting to get really interesting. There's, some, there's a lot of unique connections here that we don't, if we don't um, investigate and, and, and increase our knowledge, we miss it. So Jesus... Uh, you know, there's that in, in, in John, uh, it was the sixth hour, and then he continues along his passion, carrying his cross, and they offer him wine mixed with myrrh. He doesn't take it. So again, we're thinking back. He's saying, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom is made new. We're waiting for that because he, he missed the end of the Passover. And Jesus is not dumb. He's God. He knows that it was missed on purpose. And so what is happening here? Well, fast forward, Jesus is on the cross. And when, it, when you, we think that it is over, right? Imagine being his, his apostles, being John there, and like, 
our God is on the cross and he's about to die. Again, they offer him sour wine on a hyssop branch. Again, everything has meaning. What is the hyssop branch? Well, go back to Exodus. It was prescribed that you sprinkle the blood of the lamb with, on a hyssop branch. So they offer him this wine on a hyssop branch and he drinks it. And immediately he says, it is finished. And what Dr. Hahn talks about in his fourth cup, I encourage you to, to read it because obviously we can't do it justice in this time. No. But it that he refers to, Jesus, when he says it is finished, it is not our redemption. That didn't happen until he rose from the dead. That's Romans 4.25. It that was finished was the Passover made new. Miko said that Jesus in John chapter 6 said, the bread that was given from Moses led to death. It, you perished, right? And Jesus comes to make things new. I am the bread of life. And so what he's doing is in the Last Supper and in the, in the death on Calvary, he is making the Passover eternalized. He's making the old covenant, the new covenant. And the only time he says covenant is when he says the drink my blood of the new and eternal covenant. Mm -hmm. And what was the covenant? Well, the first century Jew that that knew that the covenant was the restoring of communion between God and his people. And the only way to complete that sacrifice is to eat of the lamb. And what do we as Catholics that we miss so many times, we just think we go through line like we're getting handouts for soup. No, we're lining up because we are completing the sacrifice and we get the opportunity to restore communion with God that he's giving us. You need to eat of this and he knows it because it's good for us. And it is the bread that will sustain us to give us life. Right. And we get to participate that participate in that every Sunday, the Passover made new, not just the lamb, the animal, right. That was below us. No, no, no. We get to eat God himself. And what does that do for us? It restores communion between God and his people. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, get, what we get to participate in, and we miss it. Mm-hmm. And Protestants, of course, they're going to miss it, but 75% of Catholics miss it. Mm-hmm. And what a shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, beautiful breakdown between both on the Bread of Life discourse and then the breakdown of the meaning of the Passover, because that's what, I mean, even the readings for today, if, for those of you who are following the daily readings in the course of the liturgy for us as Catholics, um, with, this is really the Last Supper, and this is where Jesus talks about you know, one of you is going to betray me and Judah and everyone's like, surely it's not going to be me. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're in the context of the upper room, but a couple of things to point out just to highlight and what Kimmy's talking, there's so much there. And again, what we're pulling from, we're not going to do it any justice is Dr. Scott Hahn's book and actual video video series, the fourth cup. This is what kind of blew his mind open as a uh, non-Catholic, as an evangelical Christian. And then it just all just kind of boom, blew his mind open. Um, because of that question, what did Jesus mean by it is finished? What is finished? And that fourth cup is the cu- known as the cup of consummation. Mm-hmm. And so for us, Je- at that moment when Jesus is on the cross and says it is finished, and then, you know, we know that, um, that, the, uh, that both of the thieves are on the cross next to him. Both their legs were broken, right, to ensure that they, were, that they would die, and Jesus was already dead, so he, his legs weren't broken. And just to make sure they, they thrust the lance in his side, and then we have the, the water and his blood pouring out. And we know for us, that's, that's really the birth of the church, right? Pouring forth from his side. He himself was an unblemished lamb. So in order for the Passover to count, going back to your, your meditation on that, for one, it had to be an unblemished male lamb. Mm-hmm. 
It had to be sacrificed mm -hmm. and it had to be eaten of. So if you think about that, the 10th, you know, if you think about that in the actual Passover that each of the Jews to this day uh, celebrate, represent, represent in memorial. If you would have said, Dr. Scott Hahn points this out, well, I'm not into lamb. I'll just make like this, you know, um, I'll just make this little banana muffin thing and just call it that. Right. And not partake of it. You would your firstborn would have died that day. If you didn't eat of the lamb that evening, you your firstborn would have died. So in order the climax of it, not only being the fourth cup, right, the cup of consummation, if you didn't partake in the eating of the lamb, it didn't count. Mm -hmm. So Jesus himself was the unblemished lamb. And who could offer sacrifice? Only the high priest. So we think about that in the context as we meditate on the Paschal mystery, as we go into the Holy Tritium, I just get chills thinking about it's our favorite time as Catholics, right? That he's wearing the garments that is often referred to as what the garments, the vestments that the high priest wore. So Jesus at the Last Supper was what? The unblemished lamb as well as the high priest offering himself as a sacrifice for the redemption of all of us. And as Keone said, and as we spoke about it, and honestly, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a revert to the faith. So I used to be one of those idiot Catholics, one of those people who had zero clue about the gift that we have in the Holy Eucharist. And two of the, two of the main reasons, whenever I talk to brothers and sisters in Christ who do come into the church, especially from a Protestant background, they kick the doors to the church down for two specific sacraments. One is of course the sacrament of confession reconciliation but the primary one is what the eucharist y'all got the real deal right your mom who is a convert to the church right fell in love with the catholic church why specifically because of the eucharist it was through the presence of god in the tabernacle the presence of god in the blessed sacrament of the altar and the monstrance exposed in the in the bread you know it's his body blood soul and divinity through that most powerful sacrament. And you're right. We just, we, we show up at like a drive through We're often not even in a place to um, worthy. You know, we're all unworthy, of course. We all fall short of the glory of, of God. But even just not even contemplating, realizing that we have the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, that we're receiving in the most intimate way, that he gives us his body, blood, soul, and divinity in that way. The last thing, and Keone pointed this out, when the only time that our Lord uses the word New Testament, so for all of those folks out there, and we've had recent debates, where people, I'm a New Testament Christian, I'm like, the only time that the New Testament is used in Jesus' mouth is in the institution of the Holy Eucharist, that this is the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. And I think uh, Dr. Hahn points this out in his, in his book, in his series as well, is the first time St. Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians is what, in the context of ministering the sacrament, I'm unworthy to minister the sacrament, the New Testament. So Dr. Hahn would say that the New Testament was a sacrament before it was a document according to the document, right? So according to the document, that being the, you know, we're, we're believers in the, the 27 books of the New Testament. Um, but he said the New Testament was a sacrament, in essence, Holy Communion, before it was a document, i.e. the Bible, according to the document itself, right? I mean, if those aren't bars. So we highly, highly encourage all of y'all to pick up Dr. Scott Hahn's book because it's an amazing book. And I'm, honestly, this is something that we've been meditating as a family um, throughout this, this time of quarantine. And it's, it's moved me so much in my heart that it's actually kept me awake, right? It's actually kept me awake to really contemplate, especially because we're, we're without them right now, right? We have to make spiritual communion. We're doing our daily mass. We have to do what? Spiritual communion. And 
when we think about this, especially for you Catholics out there, I'm talking to all of y'all who may have taken it for granted, like most of us do, who may or who are maybe far away from the church. The fact that we're without our Lord and the sacrament of Holy Communion, it destroys me to pieces. And so meditating on this as a family and meditating this, it's actually kept me awake because why I'm without the thing that's the most deepest part of me. So just last parting words, Meeks, anything you got to say to our people out there um, just about this truly deep, deep subject, but such a core to our faith? Yeah, I, I want to add a couple of things. I think one, just real quickly, um, how I mentioned before, how that the drinking of a blood would be partaking in an animal's life, which is obviously something you don't do. But the reason why we do do it for Christ, is we're partaking in his life. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole point of it. That's why, that's why it's important to drink the blood. Mm-hmm. You might be out, you know, the flesh, the lamb, we get that part, but why do we drink it? And I think that's such a beautiful thing to think about to, to um, put in the context of the mass. And then secondly, um, one of my, I think favorite videos I've ever watched, especially from um, an evangelical Christian was a Francis Chen. Mm-hmm. Um, little spiel he had and it kind of like a, a realization of kind of what services had become basically in in the protestant realm and he basically was just discussing how he didn't realize that for 1500 years it was basically one church and it was one church and at the center of every single church that was the under the catholic church was was the altar basically right it was the it was a eucharistic sacrifice is what it was mm-hmm. and so he had come to this realization kind of reading and he was taken aback by the fact that um, the split from that church and just the differences that comes with Protestants and Catholics and all these things, it ended up replacing the Eucharistic sacrifice with the pulpit. And it became, basically, it was a point of humility for him and like, what the hell am I doing, basically? Why are you replacing the center, the Eucharistic, Eucharistic sacrifice with me at the pulpit? And in his own words saying, you're replacing, you know, basically the body and blood of Jesus Christ with a guy who goes to his room and studies scripture for a few hours or 10 hours, whatever it is, and then he becomes the center of your service. Mm-hmm. And so I think the reason why I bring that up is because it's like the reality of, well, what, what's the point of us gathering, really? And, and why would we go out to a mass or a service? So if it's like, obviously for us, we're going to receive. Because if it was just about hearing readings, then why don't you just do that at home? Mm-hmm. You, can, you could just read the readings, and we can listen to Bishop Barron talk about it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes like, like Keone was saying, he's offering more than praise and worship. There's a lot more than praise and worship. Or some sermon. Right? Or a sermon from, and, and it's just funny because like Francis Chen being the super popular mm-hmm. and powerful evangelical Christian is saying, we have replaced that Eucharistic sacrifice with the pulpit of some guy who just goes in his room and studies a scripture for 10 hours or whatever it is mm-hmm. and prepares his homily. And that's what we listen to. And now that's our focus. Mm-hmm. Important, gather. but not equally important. No. Yeah. And it's just like, and the fact that you got to think about the 1500 years of church, church and how much, how much depth and truth there is in that rather to then to the guy who becomes a center at the pulpit, who's gotten his education from this guy, or maybe he went to some school or maybe he just sits in his room and does that. And think about how much history and depth there is to our church and the fathers that teach it. And so like when you say, you know, I believe everything the church has to say and people want to question, oh, everything? Well, yeah, because it's been 2,000 years of people that are a lot smarter than me and you mm-hmm. and just because you heard a topic on YouTube and you thought about it for the last three days and now you think you're an expert in it, you're not. Mm-hmm. So we've had years of thousands and thousands of bishops and priests and church fathers who have been doing this for the longest time. And so to think that you could replace that with someone who spends his Wednesday nights doing, doing sermons, it just seems kind of laughable to me. And, and pompous and presumptuous, to yeah, be honest. so that's all I'd...
Good, good point. Keone. One last thing. Uh, just how Mika was talking about the participation in the blood of the Lamb was be- below us and how the participation in the blood of Christ, it allows us to participate in Christ's divinity, right? Um, he took, we'd say in the, in the Mass, the priest says it in the Mass, you know, by Jesus came down to partake in our humanity so that we can have a chance at the partaking in his divinity, right? Mm-hmm. But we see in, for those that, you know, will say I'm a New Testament Christian or I believe in Scripture, St. Paul himself says in First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, he says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And what is the cup of blessing? That's a very specific wording. The cup of blessing was the third cup, the main meal of the Passover sacrifice. So again, the Passover, understand the Passover. We're representing the bloody sacrifice of the Last Supper and Jesus' death on the cross. We're representing that bloody sacrifice in an unbloody manner every mass and why is that important because we need to represent it so that we can restore communion with him because we sin every day that's why they did it every how often they did it they did it regularly right mm-hmm. the passover sacrifice for first century jew one to remember it as a memorial but to restore communion and that's what we do every mass we start off the mass by saying lord have mercy on me there's nothing you did you did it Final. It's the it's the final. But we need to represent it. Why? Because the only thing worthy of praise and sacrifice to you is yourself, and we he he allows us to participate in that. Why? Because he wants us to restore communion with him. Mm-hmm. So I just encourage you as we enter into Holy Thursday, Good Friday, really take that to heart. Because I think what a better time now than ever when we're one without him, but we're in this place of isolation. Mm-hmm. to really meditate on what the Last Supper and what Good Friday is and the gift of the Eucharist that we have as Catholics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. This has uh, been edifying, um, listening to both you boys actually speak about it. Just, uh, you know, it, it just speaks to, to the depth of our faith. And, you know, just an encouragement out there, as, as you've heard from all three of us talking about this in different capacities and different ways. Um, for you who may be a fallen away Catholic, come back to the church. Um, you know, that God is God is waiting for you to be reconciled. He gave himself up. He freely laid down his life. His life wasn't taken. He gave it for our sake, for your sake. Um, the other piece is for those, hopefully this was helpful to kind of break open with such a deep topic. And we just um, we just ask, especially for those Catholics, if you're if you're one of those six or seven people out of 10 that do not believe, I hope that's opened up your mind. And again, encourage you to go get Dr. Scott Hahn's The Fourth Cup. I encourage you to start diving into your faith, especially because you have time. Don't be sitting out there binging on Netflix or wasting your time um, in this cultural craziness that we're in, but really get to know Christ and, and know what he did for you. Remember, as Miko stated and as Francis Chan has come to know, that for 1,500 years, everybody was Catholic. And anybody who dives into the early church, you want to know, let's go back to what the, the first uh, century Christians did. Anybody who dives into the early church will realize two things. One, it was Eucharistic. Two, it was very hierarchical. So the apostolic succession, the authority within the church was there. Um, but, but most importantly, it was Eucharistic. So, you know, we just encourage all of you to continue to, you know, um, reach out to us and let us know if there's something else that we can speak to. And um, we just continue to pray for you. Hope that you have a, a great Holy Week, a great uh, Holy uh, Tritium, and an Easter Sunday, because we won't see you until after then. So, and peace. don't forget, like, comment, and subscribe. God bless you, and a happy Easter to you all once we get there. But there is no Easter Sunday until there's a good Friday. God bless you, and keep you, and get holy, or die trying. <laughs>